Welcome to the UK Consult Weekly Podcast with Jonathan Bradley and Elton Daddo, engagement practitioners and general consultation superheroes at Bang the Table in the UK. Hello and a very warm welcome to Jono and Elt's weekly ramble through all things online community engagement and public consultation and it's an exceptionally exciting week this week as we welcome our first special guest. But I'm not going to um, introduce him just yet because you set me some homework last week Jono as always (laughs) and diligently I followed up on it but it didn't, didn't take me that long actually although The subject matter was extremely enjoyable because it was around the campaign for real ale and engagement. So we can do this as a judge, Jono. Now, I don't know what you're going to make of this. So camera engagement, they basically support members from across the country who can join their online form. They call it a form. Now, I'm a bit of a spelling geek. Supposed to be a forum, surely. So that was the first thing. Surely a forum. Forum forum or forum? Yeah. Do you say forum? I say forum. Oh, I say forum. Forum. I wonder what they say in America. <laughs> well, we can ask our American colleagues. Yeah, we will. <laughs> but they've got this online forum <laughs> known as Discourse, and that's the place where you can sign up to discuss all things Campaign for Real Ale within an internal audience. So that's things like from beer festival volunteering to questions about their AGM business to general conversations about great pubs and beer and discourse is where their members can come together to hash it out and that is it okay (laughs) so what does Judge Dono make of make of that community engagement approach it sounds like like they're, they're doing something rather than nothing which I think is probably a good thing being generous you know I think there's a lot you know a lot more they could do surely if they've got a forum they could do a lot more sounds like they need an engagement HQ to be honest it sounds like they're missing a deep range of engagement tools that's for sure and I didn't actually sign up and and take part in it but I could see some some other people's contributions and stuff like that it just looked a bit dry to me didn't really hit the mark no maybe we should get them on here yeah yeah. yeah, well, we could invite them on, um, but we won't have any time for that this week because moving swiftly on, we this is an exclusive. It's an exclusive for our podcast. So it's our first ever special guest appearance, and we're delighted to be joined today by the owner of Fan Insights UK and associate of Engage Communicate Facilitate, Kevin Rye. Hello. Well, <laughs> welcome, Kevin. How does it feel to be our first ever special guest? I feel very honoured, very privileged. Thank you very much for having me. Excellent. No problem at all. Right. Well, without any further ado, tell us about what you do in the in the realms of fan engagement. <clears throat> well, fan engagement, what I'm trying to do is, first of all, to get really football to understand that fan engagement is stakeholder engagement and that fans are stakeholders and therefore they need to deal with them in that way. I originally did that last year through the Fan Engagement Index, which was the first time anyone had measured what fan engagement was and whether it was effective at clubs. It was focused only on clubs in English football in the top 92. I mean, I've worked all over Europe, but that's where I know best and where I felt it was really important to start with something I knew well. Since February, I've launched the Fan Engagement Network, which is a network of fan engagement professionals which has alongside it the Fan Engagement Hub, which is a a learning hub full of case studies and guidance on how to do good fan engagement, um, how to practice it well, uh, the good 
examples of it because there are a lot of them in English football. They just don't tend to get talked about because of the reasons I'll go into. The Fan Engagement Pod, of course, everyone has a podcast these days and I'm no different. And as things grow, I mean, obviously, with the onset of the COVID pandemic meant that events were going to be curtailed, really although obviously people do virtual ones, those will be something I want to do in the future because really a lot of what it's about doing is trying to teach people and show people how to do it well through my own expertise. A lot of it is about sourcing what's there and growing the network of people doing it that way. On your recent podcast, you interviewed Clive Nates, who's the chair of Lincoln City FC, um, who was telling you about how to turn around a club using fan engagement. Can you tell us more about that? What does that look like in practice? Well, I mean, in practice, the greatest challenge in, in, in I'll talk about football, but really it's really, it, it, this is really applicable to other areas and certainly to other sports. The biggest problem is obviously it's a results business. Now, I suppose in some ways comparing it to stakeholder engagement in a more general sense, you could say that being driven by results, if you compare it to what more general stakeholder engagement is, it goes on, um, say in local government, it's like elections being driven by single events, except in football and, and, and sport, obviously, these are week by week. And the other thing as well is that this is meant to be fun. I only ever got involved in football. I got involved in football activism when 18 years ago, helping to try to prevent the, the franchising of Wimbledon at the time and then the reformation of the club as AFC Wimbledon, because I was a fan and I was born around the corner from the ground. Yeah. Um, my dad took me when I was a kid and I went with my brother. And... We forget football was a pastime, especially people like us who work in it. So that's the other challenge is with more general stakeholder engagement with sort of local government. Those are things that are sort of they matter in a different way. And football is meant to be a pleasure and a pastime. So that's a really big challenge. And the thing that Clive did, really, a lot of it is just to listen to people. Yeah, (laughs) I'm sure you come up against yourself, but a lot of this, a lot of the failures in, in, in engagement, it's so-called engagement or consultation processes are just a failure to listen. And Clive listens a lot. And then he also pointed well. And obviously, I'm not suggesting this is all him and and part of the, you know, we have a bit of a hero worship syndrome in sport where we think everything's down to individuals. And Clive would never claim this is all down to him. But most definitely, his character has helped in terms of appointing the right people. They're a very thoughtful football club. And it wasn't always that way because Lincoln, though they were one of the first clubs to be rescued by a consortium of fans and uh, the local co-op and other businesses back in about 2003 I think it was 2002 they went through some very difficult times later on an intervening period so in in what Clive did it was it was addressing a really deep-seated problem I mean in the podcast Clive talks about a club in mourning which is how Danny and Nikki Cowley the, the management pairing described Lincoln when they came so, it, you know, I think really at the front of it is listening and thoughtfulness. That, that's how you do it. And that's how the best fun engagement gets done. And if you look at anyone else, I mean, Scott McLeod at Everton, who I interviewed, or some of the people who run, say, Leicester City. Yeah. Some of the stuff they do. It's just they listen and they, and they appear to be thoughtful. They act in that way. And that is a massive part of how you deliver this stuff and how it's effective and how people respect you for it and how your fans will come along on the journey with you. Yeah, we talk a lot about that in our world of engagement and consultation, that it it works so much better if it's genuine. And that genuineness comes from the leadership as well. It makes it important. You can almost turn organisations into listening Mm. organisations in a way. 
Yeah, I mean, sincerity is how Damien Irvin, who's he's now the chief executive of Ebbsfleet United in the National League, where they got relegated, I think, to the south after the sort of lot the lottery of the coronavirus and and what that did to football and how they decided placings. Um, but he also was. Uh, he worked for Wickham Wanderers in English football, but his biggest job was Cronulla Sharks in rugby league in Australia, which is a massive club, member-owned fo- uh, rugby league club. And he talks about sincerity and people can sniff out insincere people. And I suppose the thing about it is, is I think there are two parts of it. One is a football culture issue. And, and, and again, sort of to a slightly lesser extent, just simply because of my knowledge, a sport culture issue. But let's just talk about English football. You know, it's a cultural issue in English football. Um, the type of institution football clubs were for years, without giving everyone a long, boring history lesson, you know, they were run by the local worthy. It's what happened. And they didn't need to listen to people very much because they generally got it. They, In a lot of cases, they quite often got it right because they were embedded in the local community. They, they kind of knew it. They lived it, breathed it. They ran the factory, owned the shop, whatever it was. The foundations of Merthyr Tidville's success in the 80s and 90s was really bound up with, I believe it was the success of the local hotel. And that's where the money came from. And they had a Hoover factory. They had the Hoover factory there. And that was a massive part of it. And, you know, the rootedness was there by design in a sense. And then what's, I think really what's happened is, is people have come in, you know, take for, for instance, Peterborough United. You know, Darren McAntony is, I'm just describing, I'm not, it's not, it's not a critique of him at all. You know, he's an Irishman who lives in America. Being able to remain in touch with what a football club is when you're in that position is much more difficult. And the interesting part is that someone like Darrell, although he's a very controversial person in some in some senses, he, he's certainly not frightened of making his uh, case for something. But he has a tendency to converse and to listen to fans a lot. I mean, he would say he he can be a bit strident for some people's tastes. But the reason that he makes a reasonable success of it, you know, decent success of it, is because he listens. Likewise, say someone like Andy Holt at Accrington, a listener. Yeah, very strident in his views and very different from Clive at Lincoln. But again, it's the, it's this listening thing. Um, yeah. And back back to that point, you, you have to make an effort and you have to realise that you, you are sometimes swimming against the tide because that's not generally how it's been done. And and because of sport and because of the excitement and the, the glamour of it, you have people, frankly, all over it who... Yeah, that you look. Marketing is an absolutely critical part of any business. I'm I'm having to do that myself, uh, and you you know marketing is part of what you do. But you know, fan engagement is not a marketing discipline, if you like. It's a communications no. issue, and and so you know you tend to get people saying, "Look, I'll solve your fan engagement problems. Just buy this app off me. Come to this conference and learn about fan engagement." Well, you're not. You're just basically being sold for four or five hours. And everyone I speak to in football basically says the same thing about it. It's not that those things don't have their place. It's simply that the priorities are wrong. And to actually get everyone to stop and think about it is really tough because it's a results business. So yeah. you go from week to week to week to week to week to week to week. Now, all those things make it really difficult to do fan engagement properly, which is what I exist to try to, <laughs> to try to change and yeah, it's heavily sales and marketing driven, isn't it? And do you think that influx of foreign ownership of clubs then had a massive negative impact whereby people instantly felt alienated from their clubs? We see it obviously at um, Man United with the Glazers, unless they're really successful. So clearly if Man United had won the league for the last 10 years in a row, for example, no one would be talking about the Glazers. Everyone would feel quite happy with their club, a bit like you might look at the Man City ownership. If that had gone wrong and then they were fighting around in the relegation zone. But then again, you've got examples like Newcastle with Mike Ashley, 
who's obviously a home owner at the time, who was also very unpopular as well because of the decisions he made and alienating fans and trying to change the colours of the strips and all that sort of stuff and really, really making people feel left out of the decision making. Look, you've answered it the more or less well. There were enough bad, I think we used to say as supporters directly, it was a line we used, look, don't go on about where people are from. It's about the yeah. quality of ownership. And yeah. it's about, you know, if you want to have good or bad ownership, then that's about regulation. And that's an issue, you know, you want to start going into the whole way that game is regulated, clubs regulate themselves, which I actually think is sort of unfair on them, but they don't seem to want to change that. You know, in the end, you do have, you know, there are there are decent owners who aren't from this country. Um, in yeah. fact, you know, just setting aside all of the arguments about the regulation of ownership and whether you should have effectively states and governments owning clubs, now Man City are run pretty well. And actually, you know, a lot yeah. of their fans are quite pleased with the way they're run. Setting aside all of the financial issues about how much they spend and all those sorts of things. There are so many examples of poor ownership. I think, you know, in terms of domestic, I think the issue is, for me, it always comes down to the culture in football. And the culture in football is what has led you know, to sort of essentially the, the boom in the in the late 90s and 2000s has meant the type of practice it pelted towards, if you like, it ran towards marketing as a solution yeah. um, and, and those sorts of practices. And it hasn't had time to think. So, you know, really, we kind of got to be fair. I've got to stop for a moment. Just set my son up. One sec. Sorry, I really hate doing this. One sec. Yeah, one no, sec. that's fine. One sec. One sec. <laughs> And I, I was going to ask next, Jono, actually, as our CEO is a Leeds United fan, like how sorry does, does Kevin feel for him on a scale of 1 to 10? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we want to ask that question. They're doing all right, aren't they? They're second. Yeah, well, they might, be, they might well be coming back up so we can renew those old um, hostilities. They're probably not that far away from us now anyway. i tell you what's fascinating already from what Kevin said for how this cuts across everyone who's involved in this sort of industry of engagement and consultation is, is you know, the culture sort of side of it. Um, yeah. Do organisations have a culture of listening and acting? And that I think that makes such a massive difference. Yeah. I'm seeing a big sea change in that, whereby a number of the conversations that I have now around that is, yes, yes, COVID-19 has accelerated our need to engage more online and digitally. Yeah. But they're actually, yeah, okay, it might have precipitated a, a quicker route to get there. But actually, now they're embracing it. Now they're actually quite, they're seeing the value in it, the intrinsic value in engaging online as well as face to face. Um, and there does seem to be a sea change across the UK. Hi, chaps. Sorry about that. Thank you. That's all right. No worries. I was going to ask you just before you went off how sorry you feel for Leeds United on a scale of one to 10 over the last 20 years, only because our CEO is a Leeds United fan. <laughs> um, and Elton's after his P45. I'm after my P45 again. Uh, I mean, you know, there are the pot. The, first of all, the problem with football is that there are winners and losers, and that's really tough. Uh, yeah. But. There's so much, if you like, tying your laces together in football, people kind of hobbling themselves. The great, the greatest compliment I can pay to someone like Lincoln is that they built success out and they thought of depth and breadth. They didn't just think of one thing. They didn't just think of results. They didn't just think of... So it was an interesting thing with someone like Clive because his background is fund management. And you get a lot of those sorts of people mm. who will be around and in, involved in ownership of football clubs. And I think they learn the wrong lessons. They have a tendency, a lot of people successful in business once or twice or you know even several times, they might look at football and go, right, well, I've been a success. 
I'm going to make a success of this. And that's grand. Okay, fine. And, you know, ownership is open. So buy if that's what you want to do. But then they tend to have a tendency. There is a tendency uh, uh, there to not realize that then you need to approach it slightly differently. In other words, if you examined the purchase of a business or purchase of shares in a business as part of a portfolio, you know, a fund or whatever, you don't make rash, rash decisions about that. Even if, even if you're able to flip the investment quick, you know, you have to make thoughtful investments because you're responsible for a lot of money and a lot of people's, say, you know, effectively savings or, 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 or it might be a pension fund or whatever. And then, you know, or you're running a business and you're having to make thoughtful decisions about how you manage staff or how you procure or whatever it is or how you, you know, purchase stock. Yeah. And then you go into football and you and and somehow you lose your mind. And it's a curious thing. And I I just think to myself, there are so many clubs, I just think it's really quite sad. Someone like Clive is not you know, the second coming, and he I'm sure he's in his modesty, he would wouldn't want to be thought of as some kind of exceptional individual. But I want people to be more like him. And he's had a yeah. background in finance, he's very aware of all those things. Um, but he's managed to be thoughtful. So I just think a lot of it is is the culture in the game, which means that, you know, failure, yeah, okay, failure is can't be tolerated consistently at a football club because you end up getting relegated every season. Yeah. But success isn't necessarily winning on the winning five matches in a row because the problem is is if you don't manage your stakeholders and you don't do your fan engagement properly, the toleration levels are absolutely, you know, a thin. You know, and if what you do is build all of the expectation, all of your I don't like this word, but all of your brand on your manager, which a lot of clubs have a tendency to do instead of the breadth, yeah. depth and beauty of the club itself uh, and what drives it and what makes it special, then when things go wrong, they fall apart quite quickly. So there's, without directly answering your question about Leeds, <laughs> um, I, I do think there are a lot of clubs who don't always learn the right lessons. So Kevin, one of the, so that one of the benefits of fan engagement is that there's a toleration if things aren't going well, you've got that sort of loyalty and buy-in from people that they're able to accept it a bit longer. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're coming from the negative, if you like, but then I use the word toleration, so that's my responsibility. Yes, I mean, there's a lot more understanding. And if people feel like they get what's going on, and not that, you know, I'm not. this isn't about sitting down because it was always the parody of when I used to work for supporters direct was always, oh, you just want to know how much the centre forward earns. No, I don't. I'm not really that bothered. What I want to know is that it's affordable and you're not overstretching the budget and going to, you know, end up coming to us asking for money and help. What I want to know is that you're a good steward of the football club. And that comes through seeing the whites of people's eyes and understanding them and seeing them and hearing them. And for them being sincere and you believing that they're sincere. And yeah, it does. I mean, basically, if you forget, because I think a lot of it comes through forgetting. I don't think a lot of engagement doesn't happen. A lot of engagement doesn't happen through forgetting. It doesn't happen yeah. through a, a malign intent. I don't find that. The research I've done, and I'm just doing the next iteration of Fan Engagement Index, a lot of it's just forgetfulness. And also because there isn't, I think, you know, the Fan Engagement Index helps to hold people to account. And I think... You know, I've spoken to quite a few people in football who, who like that. They say that's one of the things people like about it. So it comes through a forgetting to do it. And and you just need to program it into what you do. And the benefits are huge. I'm about to do, I mean, by the time this comes out, it will be out. It's, not, it's, no, it's no biggie, but I've done a little video which just shows the clubs that continue to engage. And by that, I mean, they had fans parliaments. So the yeah. 
the sort of dozen, 15 representatives across the fan base, um, or they did fans forums, or they they just kept people up to date, constantly publishing stuff on the website from the directors and the chief executive, or they did great little thing Oxford United do, and they've been doing it for about a year and a half now, called the Five Minute Fans Forum, and they do it on BBC Radio Oxford, so they buddy up with a local radio station, which is terrific, they have a chief executive on now, the operations, uh, chief operations, I think he is, you know, or, or what Ryan Sparks does at Bradford, and he goes on all the fan sites, and he does stuff, YouTube videos and things with them. And yeah. just showing that this just just they remember to do it. And the really fascinating thing is, is there's a few surprises on there. They, you know, Arsenal and Man United carried on doing it. And for all the criticism they get, um, those were two of the clubs that that did their fans' parliaments, and not everyone did. And so that consistency of engagement just builds a trust. <laughs> if you want to trust someone, you've got to know them, haven't you? It's no different from it's no different. It's no different. You won't vote for politicians who you don't trust. Kevin, what were the fans' parliaments? Yeah, so a fans' parliament is basically it's it is as a parliament is. It's a rep, it's a set of representatives of the fan base. There are variable ways of them being chosen. They should really be chosen independently. They shouldn't be, you know, they should, they're usually representatives of a stand, a set of season ticket holders, an age group. Some, you know, quite often you find BAME representatives, which is a, a good development. Obviously, you will have perhaps a, you'll have the supporters trust in there or, or in minority cases the, the the you know what we call the independent supporters association but the independent fans groups and they will give you input and you will ask them things Doncaster Rovers did some terrific stuff with theirs over COVID-19 and what they were going to do with ticket refunds you know because it's a massive drain on on the finances so they had to try and be work out how they could manage that and get people not to demand all their money back um, so they worked with their parliament as a sounding board, as an actual creator of the plan. It wasn't just that they went to them and said, this is what we're going to do as a consultation exercise. Right, fine. Now we know what the problems are when we present it. They shaped it and developed them with them. So that fan, that's what fans' parliaments do. And used properly, they are terrific. Used badly, you know, or used inappropriately, then they can just end up becoming talking shops and places where you just discuss the price of pies. The important thing is, is that they're... They are there to give input at a strategic level to the chief executive, the chairman, the board and the management of the football club. It's, it's, it's amazing to hear that these things are going on in football because, you know, we, in, the, in the world that we operate, mainly in around sort of like public consultation run by local authorities or local NHS and things like that, they might have citizens panels or citizens assemblies or things like that, you know, and, and it's, it, there's amazing crossover. It's quite, it's really insightful. Yeah, I mean, there is a there is a like anything, there is a tendency to chase the latest idea. So it yeah. used to be it used to be fans forums. You know, we all sat there and listened to our if we were lucky, <laughs> our owner, chairman, chief executive, manager, usually the manager, talking about the latest signings. And as fans have organised more, and it was an area that I worked in, an expert in in, in another area. As fans organised, it became clear they weren't satisfied, especially as they saw the financial crises emerging, and so these these things moved on to the more sort of close relationship stuff. And actually one, I mean, really one of the things that I've tried to get across is if you're engaging well and you're doing it properly, you're engaging at a series of levels. So you are engaging at the general level of transparency. So for example, Brighton and Albion, every club does, you know, even if they're not doing all the things I think they should be doing, there's often one really good thing they do. Big fans forums, very good, very important for transparency. So everyone can see. 
Brighton, you know, they've been a big exponent of that for a long time. The close relationship with 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 a supporters trust, because we have in local government and, and that kind of area and that national, you know, NHS consultation engagement, you won't have quite the same setup for all sorts of reasons. But, you, but in football, and you will have a, a supporters trust, which has a very clear set of objectives around ownership and influence over the football club. So it's always a good idea if your if your supporters have organised in that way, and I would always advise fans to have something like that for the board and the ownership and the senior management to have a good relationship with them because they are like a bit of a they're like a think tank at your best at the best level of relationship outside of co ownership like Crew have recently. Then you should be thinking of them as a as a resource as a thinker. For you and they will think things for you and they will be a great sounding board in a way that then your fans parliaments are quite often a, they are sometimes a little bit more match day focused they are a bit more general and and sometimes it just moves between the different groups if you do it well what you manage to do you will have a set of resources in the guise of fans organized in different ways that allow you to to deal with different issues and different problems and it it's just understanding that communication comes in all sorts of different forms and that's what the best clubs do they realize that not everyone wants to be addressed worked with spoken to in the same format and you know your ultras group this is the thing you've got in football you know you've got the phenomenon of the ultras groups which have kind of come from mainland european football and they're not really interested in sitting down in the fans parliament they don't want to do it. what they want to do is they want to make sure that it's fun and exciting to watch football and there's great atmosphere and noise and, and colour and all that sort of stuff. So don't get them along to a meeting. Ah, you know, yeah. get your supporters trust to work with them maybe. Come up with things that they'll be excited about. So it's just about using all these different models really and understand that conversations taking all take place in all sorts of different ways and contexts. Do you know I did a bit of research before you came on and what I found was Everton FC were up for a we got shortlisted for a national planning award for their People's Project, which was a, a public consultation on on their new stadium. And I'd, ne- I'd never really heard of that. And then there's a public consultation involving football, and they're up for a national planning award. It's quite fascinating yeah. to see that. Yeah, um, I mean, I can't say I've heard of that, but I've discovered that there's some good stuff going on at Everton. And the, the good stuff that I like there is the strategic nature of fan engagement. I sent the mini fan engagement index, which was part of the of what I was, it's what I sent to every single club in December when the fan engagement index was launched. And the club I got an immediate response from by letter from the chief executive uh, was Everton. And I speak to Scott McLeod, who's the head of um, communications and, and fan engagement at Everton. And a lot of the conversation, as I said I've interviewed him for the pod as well, but a lot of the conversations with him are about the sort of strategic nature of how they do it and the fact that it's woven through it and all of the clubs that I speak to that do it well and they you know well is varying varies so well isn't one thing you know it's not you get 10 out of 10 because you're not perfect and there are things that you could always do better but there's an overwhelming focus on it because you believe that communication with your fans is the primary thing you have to do even before you've kicked a ball that if you're communicating well with your stakeholders and you're listening to them and who's the most, you know, football spent, you know, football has, has already agreed years ago that fans are the most important part yeah. of the game. That's what makes yeah. the professional game work. Without them, we know what happens. 
we end up watching empty stadiums with piped in fan noise. It doesn't work. No. Um, Chavington Leisure Centre, that's what I it's, saw. It's, it's awful. It's all, it's, you know, it's, but it is what it is. And they've got a, t- a fan engagement team of four people. And then if you look at the National Health Service, they, they'll have a communication and engagements team. And then if you look at local government, they'll have a um, maybe a public consultation team. It's quite, you know, for me, it's eye-opening that these things are happening in different areas. Yeah, and it's good. It's good as well. I think football is opening up to the fact that it might be able to learn some stuff from other places on this. And that actually, when you talk about fans being stakeholders, that has to mean something in practice. Because if what you do is say, yeah, yeah, fans are stakeholders. Oh, but no, I haven't had a meeting with them for six months. Then then that matters a lot. And fans are clued up. And because... (laughs) As I said, as I said earlier on, I really am just a fan who stumbled into all of this because my club was threatened, and and ultimately yeah. we had to start the thing again. But you know, my club was under threat. That's the only reason I did this. Uh, the only reason I got involved in football. And I can tell you, we there are people out there. You know, we're no different from the people running football clubs in in many respects. And the the good ones just recognise that that we don't all leave our brains in a jar at the door when we turn into a fan. And we care a lot and we just want to know that things are okay a lot of the time. And that's what a lot of fun engagement is about. And it, and it doesn't need to be that complicated. It, it might be multi-layered and it might be lots of different moving parts. But communication, listening is, you know, the big thing. It has to be a cultural thing. Yeah, and all of that chimes so well with um, the sorts of conversations that we have across a really broad range of industries as well. Um, Now, you strike me, Kevin, as a very positive person. Now, we have a weekly feature called Meldry Moment. I haven't got one this week, actually. I've just been really happy and excitable. Um, Do you have any specific Meldry Moment that you've had recently? (laughs) (laughs) Meldry Moments. I mean, look, in my darker moments, my other half would say I'm not the most positive individual, but I try. Yeah, no, I do. uh, um, Meldry Moments. Jono has loads of them. He has six <laughs> a week. He narrows down to one for the podcast. I mean, in in truth, in truth, I, I, I mean, I suppose my Meldrew moment if, is, you know, we've seen in the last twenty four hours, and it's not necessarily fan engagement really, but in the last twenty four hours, we've seen Wigan Athletic uh, go into go into administration yeah. after their their ownership collapse. My Meldrew moment, I suppose, in that sense, is more broad, you know, related yeah. back to my days working for Supporters Direct and commenting a lot on finance and trying to lobby the authorities and government to change regulation. This isn't a great way to go about things. And in the end, clubs can't keep... It's just... I think part of what impacts on fan engagement, good and bad, is stability of ownership. And if clubs spend so much time trying to manage those issues and also are designing and overseeing the system that regulates them, then I just don't think they can focus on being football clubs. So, you know, my boat merger moment is not again, you know, it's not, yeah. and it's, no, not, not it's not great. <laughs> yeah, not What's yours, Jono? You normally have quite a few. You know, I think I've got them off my chest this week because I, I just sort of did a bit of writing and put it on Twitter and people agreed <laughs> with me. Wrote some angry tweet tweets then, Jonathan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That just got off my chest, and I wasn't alone. So it was a bit of sort of like, oh, a bit of catharsis. 
Well, that's a, that's a great way to close. But no, Kevin, thank you so much for sharing, like, coming on the podcast and sharing all that insight. It's really, really good. I'm sure we'll have you on again um, at some point as well. But we'll also put some blurbs around this as well and some links out to stuff. Yeah. But it's been really, really good. And um, yeah, until next time. Yes, yeah. thank you. Brilliant. Till next time. Till next time. Thank you for tuning in to the UK Consult. Join us for future conversations each week as we continue to explore the tremendous, meaningful and ever-evolving world of digital consultation and community engagement. You can view additional educational resources at bangthetable.com.